Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to, through 2, transformed by the renewing of our minds. We're in part 5. Let's read those verses again. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This morning we're considering the final phrase of those two verses. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The, and right before we go into that, the phrase test and approve may be a little misleading because it makes it sound like God's actions are subject to our scrutiny and approval, right? Let me test and see what God is doing and let me see if I can approve, if I think it's okay. It sort of sounds like that. It sounds like it's up to us to determine if God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect for us according to our perspective. Uh, I look at this, yeah, yeah, okay, mm, it's good, right? But the phrase test and approve is better understood as examining the will of God and recognizing it to be genuine, recognizing it to be true. This is, this is in line with the other scriptures that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. This is proving him out to be faithful and just and right and all of that. This is not saying, well, let me scrutinize God and what he's saying and doing, and let me see if it's good. This is saying, oh, I'm going to examine God's word, God's promises, God's character, and I am confirmed in seeing that these are true. They are genuine. God is good. Right? So testing and approving is of that regard. And so we're not sitting in judgment of God's will. We are looking at what the Lord is doing. And even if it doesn't meet our expectations, even if it doesn't seem good to us, we would accept what he is doing as his sovereign will and as his loving and perfect will set of actions. That's what this phrase is really going after. Right? So we are saying to, to the Lord, Lord, I see what you're doing. And maybe sometimes I'm not even sure of the timing of it or the way of it or the details of it, but I receive this from you and I trust you that what you are doing is perfect. Okay? But this brings up the question, what is the will of God? What is the will of God? How do you know what you should do? How do you know, if you have determined to do something, how do you know that that's pleasing to God? You know how we tend to decide that? We say, well, this makes me happy. And, if, and surely God wants me to be happy. I had one person who said to me, well, you know, I'm getting divorced because life is too short and you, know, you have to be happy. So I'm getting divorced. And so, you know, we, we say... If this is what I want to do, and it makes me happy, surely, because God wants me to be happy, it must be the will of God. We're not saying, does this please God? 
We're not saying, does this make God happy? We say, does it make me happy? And so the question that I would ask you is, how do you know? How do you know if you're doing the will of God? And, and let's get more practical. How do you know who you should marry? What college you should go to? What you should major in? What job you should take? Where you should live? And what car you should drive? By the way, when the Bible says that they were all in one accord, it's not speaking about Honda Accords. You know, this. So don't, don't try to read into the text something. Oh, let's look at this. All right? This is what the Bible says. This is what I'm doing. No, no. So, but you look at these things and you say, how do I know what is the will of God? Well, sometimes it is easy to know the will of God. Sometimes it is easy to know the will of God. With even a cursory reading of the word of God, you can easily determine that it is God's will for you not to dishonor him or worship idols. We looked at this in more detail when we were considering the phrase, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. And we said, oh, okay, we can see here some of these patterns of the world, some of these things that take us away from God. And we can see here what things would be of God, what would be pleasing to him and how we would worship him. And so some things, we, there's no doubt about it. We can read even just a casual reading of the word of God and we can say, oh, okay, God is God above all and he is to be worshipped and therefore we don't worship idols. It is also God's will that we worship him in spirit and in truth, that we honor our parents, that we don't kill or lie or cheat or steal. And even someone who doesn't know the Bible, but is trying to live a morally upright and ethically consistent life, even they will agree with you that you should or you shouldn't do most of these things. They seem pretty obvious. Right? And in addition, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, it says this. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. Cleansed, consecrated, set apart, made holy. How? That you should avoid sexual immorality. So you have a clear statement. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15 says, For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. And by the way, the word foolish in the Bible refers to willful spiritual Ignorance. What is made clear in Psalm 14, verse 1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. That's a willful spiritual ignorance. You have decided that according to your own thinking, there is no God. And the Bible calls that kind of thinking foolishness. So, the Bible says, for it is God's will for you that you, by doing good, not by arguing, not by convincing, by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Micah chapter 6 verse 8 says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? What is God's will for you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. 
And Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 20 says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. There's that word again. But understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you can find other scriptures like these. But here's the point. And, and by the way, you may argue, how exactly should I apply this verse? And maybe I should do this, maybe I should do that, you know. When it says, you know, this particular statement, do good, well, what is the doing good? You can, you can have all sorts of follow-up conversations. But here's the thing. The directives of God, the revealed will of God, is quite clear in these verses. Do this. This is the will of God. This is what you should know. And this is how you understand God's will. This is it. And so we know the will of God, at least as it applies to these areas of our lives, as we learn and apply these scriptures. Right? But, sometimes, it is not easy to know the will of God. Right? I mean, sometimes we struggle. We don't have a clear verse that says avoid sexual immorality or, you know, do this, do good to those that would not know God. We don't have that clear verse and I said earlier that we often struggle with knowing how to make the everyday decisions of our lives. Now, it's not that the Word of God doesn't address every situation in our lives. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. He's given us, given us of himself. He's given the Holy Spirit. He's given his word. He's given us everything that we need for life and godliness, whatever situation you're facing. And he's given us his wisdom, spiritual gifts, divine power, and the presence of the Holy Spirit to instruct and direct us. Okay? But there is no specific scripture that says marry Bob and don't marry Bill. You can't flip to a passage and say, oh, there it is. So what do you do? A decision, for example, of who to marry must account for many factors, including character, capacity, what that person is about and what they're doing and so on. And most importantly, a commitment to God so that the two are equally yoked. So there are these factors that come into play. And every one of those things are actually addressed in Scripture. So the Scripture may not say, don't marry Bob and marry Bill, but it does give you these principles. It tells you how you have to think about these things. And it's just that you have to study. You must study the Scriptures, and you must pray for wisdom and discernment, and you must be willing to be led by the Holy Spirit rather than being led by your emotions. Because when we want to make the decision, what tends to happen? Our emotions get in the way. 
who we want to marry, what we want to do, where we want to go, what's happening. Our thinking gets in the way. We're not looking at the scriptures and trying to objectively and trying to with discernment dis determine what is the principle. We're saying, what do I feel? And so we make decisions based on that. The process of studying the scriptures to glean the principles that apply to our specific situation, whether it's to buy a car or to go to college or to start a new job, requires patience. Requires us waiting on the Lord until we hear from Him. What do we want to do? We say, God, what should I do? I'm asking you. I haven't heard from you in three days. I'm going to go ahead with this. I haven't heard from you in three hours. I'm going to go ahead with this. I haven't heard from you in three minutes. I'm going to go ahead with this. Right? We don't wait and say, Lord God, how do I come to you and to your presence and to your word and wait on you until I hear from you? Mike said, you know, we are people of eternity, so time's okay. Hey, right? We, I, but think about it. How many decisions have we made because we sort of rushed into something? We said, oh, you know, I gotta, I gotta do this. We didn't wait on the Lord. We didn't wait to hear from him. We didn't wait to say, Lord God, what is the principle of the word of God? And I'm not so sure I'm seeing the principle. Help me to get to the word of God that shows me this principle. Help me to go ask somebody. Help me to pray with somebody. Help me to come to the fellowship of the believers, the body of Christ who can minister to me and encourage me and find those principles that apply. So we don't just make a decision in a vacuum. We don't just make a decision based on our own thinking. We make a decision based on the principles of the word of God. And when we wait on him, when we say, Lord, we want to hear from you, we will hear from him. Because that's what the Bible says. Ask and you will receive. When you call on me, I will respond. You bring to me your requests or your petitions and you say, give me wisdom and I will give you wisdom. That's the promise of the Lord. So the scriptures are filled with principles about stewardship, debt, materialism, ambition, providing for your family, learning, growing in knowledge, understanding and wisdom, relationships, marriage, parenting, leaving a legacy, the boundaries of our dwelling, where we should live, and the seasons of our lives. The Bible speaks to all these things. And so we have a responsibility to say, Lord God, I want to keep coming to you and asking you. I want to wait on you. I want to discern from you. I want to know what are the principles of God that apply. So sometimes it's not very easy to know the will of God, but it may be because we have made it not easy. We have made it complicated. We have said, if I don't hear in this much time, if I don't hear it in this way, if it doesn't satisfy me, if it doesn't make me happy, if it doesn't do these particular things, then it must not be the will of God. And we've made it complicated. But here's one very important precondition to hearing from God. Every time, not just sometimes, we must be transformed by the renewing of our minds to know the will of God. 
Notice the first word of the phrase that we were studying, that we're studying this morning, that we're looking at. It says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. What is the word then referring to? What is the precondition that that term then applies to? What is the then? Well, it's what we've been going through for the past four weeks. When, in view of God's mercy, we offer our whole being, spirit, soul, and body, as living sacrifices that are holy and pleasing to God as our spiritual act of worship, when we do not conform to the patterns of this world, but instead are transformed into the image of Christ by the renewing of our minds, by having the very mind of Christ, then, and this is very important, then we will be able to know God's will. You see, often we indulge our flesh in every possible way, do not yield to the Holy Spirit, and do not seek to be holy and pleasing to God. So what happens? The reason that we're not hearing or seeing God clearly is because we're not close to him. You see, when you're at a great distance from God, everything seems fuzzy. If you're far away, as in, you know, regardless of what kind of eye surgery you've had, you know, when, you're, when you're far from God, when you're not close to the Lord, everything that he says and does seems very unclear, confusing, fuzzy, because we're just not close. And so if we're not doing those things to come to him, we indulge the flesh, we don't yield to the Holy Spirit, we don't seek to be holy and pleasing to God, we don't worship God, we don't take captive our thoughts, we don't seek to undergo the sometimes painful, lifelong process of transformation, of pruning and of change. And then after all of that, we're really surprised that we don't hear the will of God. We're like, how come God didn't talk to me? How come I didn't hear? How come I didn't know what to do? I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and nothing happened. Well, what conditions, what has happened in you, in your heart, in your life, in your spirit, that has positioned you to receive the will of God, to hear the will of God? Are you being transformed daily by the renewing of your mind, giving yourself wholly to him and allowing him to be working in you so that now when you come to him and say, Lord God, I need an answer for this. You are in position. Your ears are clearly open. Your eyes are clearly open. You are able to receive into your heart the very will of God. And whatever he says, no matter whether you like it or not, or you agree with it or not, or whatever, you're able to say, ah, got it. I will do that, Lord. Now we are able to know the will of God. See, this reason that we're not seeing God because we're maybe, you know, we're far from Him. What happens when we're far from God, when we're not walking with the Lord, is that even the things that are very clear, clearly communicated, even those things become fuzzy. So now even those things that I read to you where sometimes it's easy to know God's will, even those things don't get done. Even those things are not followed because we're so far. And so we have to daily, when we're being transformed, 
and setting our minds on those things above, as Philippians 4, 8 directs us, thinking about those things that are true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy, we can't help but get closer to God. If we're constantly filling our minds with the things of God, with the word of God, with the character of God, we can't help but get close to him. And when we get closer to God, we are better able to see and hear him. Here's the point, or here's how I would close or conclude this particular point. When our imaginations, when our will, when our memories, when our emotion, when our intellect, when our desires and our thoughts are inflamed by God, God's word and God's purposes, then that's what's in us. You know, that's the fire that's burning in us. That's what's going to then affect everything that we do and how we decide things. That we would be inflamed by God, His word and His purposes. That we would say, oh God, everything for you. I give it for you. We will know what God considers good, what He is pleased by, and the perfect plan and purpose that He has for our lives. That's the promise of the Lord. And so here, as we get to understanding these truths and responding and applying the word of God that we have heard, the point is that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds to know God's will. That's the point of application. Last week, I was sharing that our point of application was to willingly renew our minds so that we may be transformed. We're yielding our minds. We're taking captive thoughts. We're saying, this is the good thing to think about. This is not the good thing to think about. And we're taking, we're making those deliberate steps, taking those deliberate steps to have our minds renewed so that we may be transformed. And this morning, what I'm saying is our point of application is to willingly be transformed regularly, lifelong, all of that in that process so that we may know God's will. We don't start the other way. I want to know God's will. Let me just know God's will. We say, Lord God, you transform me. Every single day you change me. Let there be habits that are being broken. Let there be words that are no longer spoken. Let there be attitudes of the heart that are just completely removed. Let there be unforgiveness that is removed from me or that is eliminated. Let there be roots of bitterness that are pulled up. Transform me every day. Then, knowing the will of God, it'll happen. Right? We don't start there and say, oh, how come I don't know the will of God? How come God's not saying something? How come God's speaking to that person? How come they're saying, oh, I know this and I did this and all that? And how come I don't have that? Don't worry about that. That's not the focus. Focus is that we would say to the Lord, Lord God, you transform me. You transform me. You make me more like you. You see, and when we, as, as is the case for all biblical knowledge, it's not about what's in the head. It's about what's in the heart, what we've hidden in, of his word in our heart so that we will not sin against him. And in our hearts where we meditate on that word of God, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, it provides direction. It is out of the abundance of the heart that we speak, out of the abundance of the heart that we act. We're not merely hearers of the word of God, we are doers. So we're not just 
giving mental assent. We're not just saying, okay, I get it. This must be what God wants. No, we're saying, Lord God, let it get into my heart. Let it show up in my hands. It's not limited to my head. And as this is getting root in me, in my heart, and manifest in my hands, so that what I put my hand to, the action that I take, is directed by your will, by your word, by your Holy Spirit. Oh, when we do that, we're not, we're not just doing something as a way to know what to do next. Right? That is no different from everything else in the world. Appease gods, appease the gods, and then you will have success in your business. You will have you know, fortune for your marriage. You'll, you'll, that's not the statement that Christianity makes. Christianity's claim is, Lord, you transform me. Make me more like you. And let everything else just follow. And here's the wonderful promise of God regarding his will and our obedience. Hebrews chapter 13 verses 20 to 21 says this. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. What is the promise of the Lord? He will equip us with everything good for doing his will. You don't have to struggle. You don't have to worry. You don't have to say, oh, you know, I don't know. God, God's telling me to do this. God's telling me to go to Africa. God's telling me to, you know, sacrifice. I don't know how I'll do this. Don't worry about that. You submit. You yield. You say, Lord, you transform me. And then as I'm asking and praying and waiting on you, you revealed your will. And Lord, I am confident that you will equip me to do your will. Where you have to go, what you have to say, what you have to do, who you have to interact with, don't worry. The Lord will equip you to do His will. To do, he will give you everything good for doing His will. And He will work in us what is good, pleasing, and perfect in His sight. Now, lest we think that God's will is only for our individual benefit, you know, Let's do all these things. Let's get transformed and all that so that I can be a better me. Right? This is God's will for me. I'm good. Let me be clear that God's desire, that everyone would know that God's desire is that everyone everywhere would come to know him and be firmly established in that growing discipleship relationship with him. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, it says this. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving may be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, 
and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. God's, just, God's not wanting these will of his to be fulfilled just for our personal benefit. He cares very much for us personally. He is involved in our lives individually. And he loves us as a loving heavenly father. There's no doubt about any of those things. But let's be clear. God says, I want you to be transformed so that you will touch the lives of somebody else. And so that you will be part of fulfilling my will, which is that everybody be saved. How many people do we encounter all over in all sorts of circumstances that don't know this Lord Jesus, that don't know Jesus as their mediator, that have not been saved? And what do we do? How should we pray? How should we know the will of God and be equipped for everything good to do the will of God so that they would be saved. You see, we're going to get into this point even more as we continue in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 to 8 next week. Because see, the Lord is eager for each one of us to know Him and to be transformed in Him individually so that we may minister to each other. So not just to those that do not know the Lord right now and who need to be saved, but also as we will continue to read in Romans, he says, I'm, I'm equipping you and I'm transforming you, therefore be transformed by you know, all of these things that we, have, that we have gone through. To what end? So that what, the change that is happening in us individually will enable us to minister to each other and build up the body of Christ collectively. That's what God is going after. That's what he is doing. What will it profit us? What will it profit us to gain everything in this world and lose our own souls? But instead, if we're willing to lose everything in this world for the sake of the gospel, so that we may gain everything for eternity, oh, there's nothing greater in the will of God than that. So this morning, even as we conclude. I want you to just pay attention to these truths. We're going to take a little bit of time for prayer. And I'm, I, want to, I want to encourage you that you would take these two verses that we have been going through in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, and truly apply them. Go back and listen to the messages. Look at the notes. Do whatever is necessary for you to get these truths in. But let's keep coming back to these truths that we would we would view God's mercy, what he did for us. The fact that Jesus came and died for us. The fact that he shed his blood for our forgiveness. Next week when we participate in communion, we're reminded of that again. And when we do that, when we come to him and we say, Lord God, we thank you that in view of your mercy, in view of your mercy, in view of your kindness, not because of my good works. Oh, I'm giving you my whole being. I'm offering, willingly offering my body. What does that mean? What does that need to look like in your life? What in your offering of your body to God needs to change? What area of your bodies, of your whole beings, have you withheld from God? I'll give you this, God, but this I want. What have you, what is there a need for, for, for you to examine and to say, Lord God, I willingly, completely, wholly offer my bodies as a body my whole being 
spirit, soul, and body as a living sacrifice to you. And then, when you think about not being conformed to the patterns of this world, to the pattern of this world, go back and say, Lord God, are there demonic things that I need to be discerning and to safeguard and to stand against, to withstand? Are there things where I need to pay attention to your guidance and direction so that I am not going on the pattern of this world, but I am being conformed to the pattern of Jesus, to that example? And then, when we talk about being transformed, and we say it to the renewing of our minds, again, like I said, this is the battlefield. This is where the biggest attack is happening. You're not walking out of your house on a daily basis and seeing some demon standing right there, and then you pull out your sword and you have a fight and you say, got rid of that demon, let me go to work. I mean, no, that's not happening on a regular basis. Maybe. You know, but, but, what is happening is that those very same tempting thoughts that that demon was all about is coming right into this battlefield of the mind. And we have to say, oh Lord God, what do I need to do to take the sword of the Spirit and to stand against, to stand against these spiritual forces of wickedness and darkness in this present age? How do I stand victorious? How do I stand as more than an overcomer, more than a conqueror in you? So that when that renewing of my mind takes place, there's this lifelong process of transformation and I will know and do your will. Father, we thank you that you are good to us and that you love us and that you cause us, Lord, to appreciate your word in a way that transforms our lives. So we pray that this life will be such, Lord, that we live it for you and do all that would honor you. Come, Lord Jesus, have your way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.